Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14 as you're making your way perhaps to your seat. Acts chapter 14. You know, sometimes our port of Nassau has up to five massive cruise ships in port. Have you noticed? Quite a few cruise ships. We thank the Lord that tourists and visitors are coming back to our country. Did you know that the world's largest cruise ship is by Royal Caribbean, and it's called the Icon of the Sea? The Icon of the Sea has 2,805 staterooms that can house 7,800 passengers, and the ship has living quarters for 2,350 crew. I'm here to tell you that nobody looks at the icon of the seas and says, wow, what a random thing that is. Bet they didn't even need a blueprint. No one says that. It's unreasonable to look at the ship like that and say, that just happened. Our passage for today is going to show us something that's even more common to our everyday than the cruise ships in our port, the goodnesses of God. Only five cruise ships come into port a day. The goodnesses of God are innumerable to this congregation every single day. The goodnesses of God. And what we're going to see in the passage before us this morning is that these surrounding goodnesses of God are not to be taken for granted. And we're going to see that the goodnesses of God back in the New Testament time, like the goodnesses of God today, can drive a person in one of two ways. When you sense the goodnesses of God, you have an option. Are you going to worship the God who gave you all his goodnesses, or are you going to worship an idol of some sort, maybe yourself? The people in our paragraph historically today made a bad choice about the goodnesses of the true and living God that were given to them back then, and they worshiped idols. They worshiped people, human beings. They tried to worship the apostles who came to their city to tell them about the God of all goodnesses. And so as we consider their story, bear in mind that the goodnesses of God that surround you, your wife or your husband, your children, your grandchildren, your coworkers, your church family members, your brothers and sisters in Christ, that the goodnesses of God that surround us every single day ought to drive us to our knees in worship and praise and thanks to the God who gave them and not to anything or anyone else, including ourselves. We're in Acts 14, and we're going to begin at verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 18. Let's hear the word of God in this true story. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Iconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. 
But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes. That was an outward sign of tremendous agony, disagreement, and trouble of heart. They tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out loud, saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men, the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. The context that precedes these verses, which I have just read, is that the gospel, that Christ has died for sins and arisen, has been penetrating out from Jerusalem, the splash point of the birth of the church. This series we're doing going through the book of Acts is Acts 0 to 60, to note that the book of Acts chronicles the story of the birth of the church through its 60th birthday. The book of Acts covers the first 60 years of the church, and the birth of the church was in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. That was, as it were, that God took a boulder from heaven, dropped it on the calm sea called earth. Splash point was Jerusalem. The first ripples out from Jerusalem were the gospel getting out from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria. And then the splash points went out further from the splash point, the ripples did at least, to all the ends of the earth. And we're here Knowing God, loving God, learning of God, serving God, only because the splash point of Jerusalem didn't stay in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit that God gave to the first believers in Jerusalem prompted them to witness Christ in Judea and Samaria and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth, the Bahamas. And so we celebrate the fact that in this text, as the action took place in a place called Lystra, far deep into Gentile country, far removed geographically from Jerusalem. Already the church was penetrating Lystra. But there are people in Lystra who didn't want to worship the Lord Jesus of the church. They wanted to worship pagan idols. And they ascribed the power that God's ambassadors the apostles had to heal a man they knew right well from birth could never walk. They wanted to ascribe that healing power to Zeus and Hermes, not to God. And so by the time we come to this chapter and this story, we are seeing that the church was no longer just a Jewish thing. The church by this point was filled of Jews and Gentiles who had turned to Christ in faith. We're also seeing at this point that the church was not just located in Jerusalem. Here it was getting into a place called Lystra. And no wonder Acts 1.8 said and meant, Jesus said and meant, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. That's why you have Holy Spirit power, to be witnesses. 
You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, Jesus said, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we stand in the train of that wonderful progression. And what happened was, before the action of our paragraph for today, that God orchestrated and allowed persecution for the apostles so that they were driven out of some Gentile cities onto the next Gentile city of Lystra. They were moved along by the hand of God through difficulties, suffering, threats on their lives, and so they moved from where they were, Iconium, to Lystra to serve the Lord in a new city. And it tells us what happened in that new city in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 14. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there, Iconium, a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by there, that is the apostles' hands. But the multitude of the city of Iconium were divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and to stone them, that is the Apostles, they, the apostles, became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of the Lyconia and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. They may have been run out of Iconium at the threat of their lives for preaching the gospel, but when they got to Lystra, they didn't stop preaching the gospel. I love that about them. And what happened when they, Paul and Barnabas got to Lystra and preached the gospel? They did what they always did. They preached the gospel. They didn't say on the 80-mile walk from Iconium to Lystra, boy, that went went poorly. (laughs) Why don't we just try to work with social justice and your best life now? Let's try that. No. They knew they were commissioned by a risen Savior at the right hand of the Father to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and they weren't about to change their message. I love that. So now we're ready to jump in to see some things from verses 8 to 18, which I have read. The first thing I want us to observe in these verses is that no small miracle was performed. God healed a lame man in Lystra who had never taken one step since birth. How excited we all were when our babies grew enough to hang on to a table or a couch or something and take their first step and Then they learned to walk, and they've been walking ever since. How thrilling that is. This man never took one step from birth until the day that he met God by meeting God's ambassadors, Barnabas and Paul. And so no small miracle took place in Lystra. The city was big enough, but they would have known about this man. I mean, they'd seen him all his life. Sitting on the ground begging, they knew he couldn't walk. They knew who he was. And all of a sudden, he could walk. The God of the church, the God of the apostles, had used the apostles to heal him. It was no small miracle. The community knew right well that once, for many years, he couldn't walk. The second thing I want us to observe, not only was it no small miracle that was performed, secondly, it was no partial miracle that was performed either. It wasn't a partial miracle. 
The lame man's healing was complete. He didn't just stand and then limp away, barely able to walk. He stood and he leaped and he walked away. It was a complete healing. He didn't need physical therapy. He didn't go to the chiropractor. He could walk completely. It was no small miracle and it was no partial miracle either. Number three, observation number three. Some who saw the miracle interpreted that big and that complete miracle in a totally wrong way. People do that with God's workings nowadays too. They can't deny that something big happened, but how they interpret why it happened leaves God out often. And so they misinterpreted this big and complete miracle of healing on the lame man. There was a reason for why they misinterpreted it the way that they did. In that city of Lystra at that time, there was a local legend. And it was a legend that contained plenty of superstition for the average person who lived in Lystra. The legend back then was that the gods, little g, gods, plural, Zeus and Hermes, once visited the city of Lystra in disguise. And the legend goes on that only one family in Lystra gave them food and lodging. The legend was that only one family in Lystra gave food and lodging to God's little g that were there in the city in disguise. And the only family that this legend said cared for Zeus and Hermes in disguise was the family of Philemon and Bacchus, his wife. And so the legend back then was that all of the other gods beyond Zeus and Hermes got angry that Zeus and Hermes were not showing proper hospitality in Lystra. So all of these other gods, little g, sent a massive flood and drowned all the inhospitable city dwellers of Lystra. That was the legend. And this flood only saw Philemon and Bacchus Spared, and Philemon and Bacchus, according to the legend, became the priest and the priestess of this false religion in Lystra. And so to fast forward, when God's ambassadors, when God's apostles, when God's spokesmen came into Lystra and they healed a man that the Lystra citizens knew right well had never taken a step from birth, they said, ah, this is another visitation of Zeus and Hermes. And we're not going to do what the city did when they last showed up. We're going to worship them. We just won't have them over for lunch. We'll worship them as gods. And so they set out to worship. They set out to worship Barnabas and Paul. And the priest in Lystra got a fattened calf, and they were going to slaughter it and offer the calf to these men mere men that they thought were gods. <laughs> no small miracle took place in, in Lystra. No partial miracle took place in Lystra. The miracle that God did do in Lystra was misinterpreted as being attributable to gods, Hermes and Zeus, and they tried to worship the human beings who served the true and living God as if they were gods. The fourth 
observation was that Paul and Barnabas straight away straightened out the record. And they refused the worship. And they pointed the people to the true and living God who healed the lame man. That's who he is. We represent him. Anything we've done in your city is because of God. Stop worshiping us. See the goodness of God in what happened to the lame man. See the goodness of God in the good things that you enjoy here in Lystra. These wonderful servants of God refused the worship, the inappropriate, idolatrous worship being offered them in Lystra. Bless them. Verses 8 to 18 again. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Then when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us to be in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. That's key. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. (laughs) They heard the truth. They didn't accept it. They didn't miss a beat in their idolatrous plan to kill the oxen and to sacrifice worship to two mere men. So sad. Let's step back. You say, oh, yeah, those guys in Lystra should never have worshipped idols. Big mistake. I would never worship an idol. Really? Let's think about that. Nassau, Bahamas, 2023. Super value. Do we look to super value as a source of our food? Or do we look to the God who grew the plants, grew the animals, and put the food in super value. Or money. I feel pretty good if I have enough money, I think, in my wallet. It's my money, I think. How did I get my money? I have a job. And people that I work for, you all, pay me some money. That's how I have money. Or education. If I just get enough education, or if I can just get my kids enough education or my grandkids enough education, they'll be fine in life, really. Education is just facts. 
you have to have a mind to understand and retain and use information for you to be able to be employable. God gives a mind that works. What about happy circumstances? Oh, I have just created such a great life for myself. I'm so happy. Everything's in line. Everything's sorted. Everything's doing fine. I, I did a pretty good job. Is there a difference between happiness that somehow you can orchestrate in some manner and joy? Isn't joy deeper than happiness? Isn't happiness fleeting and joy abiding? Isn't happiness depending on happenings and joy depends on Jesus? Well, we can have idols, you know. What about our children and our grandchildren? We love them. We thank God for them. But are they our meaning in life? Or are they wonderful gifts to our family to love and to enjoy and to raise? Well, we can have idols. Or do we only judge how things are going by what we can see with our eyes? That's all temporary. What you can see this morning with your eyes is temporary. It's going away. But what has to do with God that is eternal is unseen right now. Heaven, grace, the extent of the forgiveness we have in Christ. We've sung about that earlier in the service. Do you see it's easy for us to worship gifts from God as idols instead of the giver of those gifts who is God? There's more. Living comfortable. Is living comfortable the point of our lives? Is that what we're striving for, that we would live to be comfortable? Or are we striving to live to have purpose? And if we're striving to live to have purpose, what is worthwhile purpose? Worthwhile purpose is glorifying God and obeying him. It's God, not comfort. Or what about long life? Sometimes we approach having a long life as as if it has everything to do with us. No, it doesn't. Having a long life has everything to do with God's preordination of how many days of life we have. You see the difference? It's so easy to have idols instead of God as the focus of our attention and our love and our trust. Or nature. Nature is beautiful. We live in some of the most beautiful parts of God's whole world. I'm sure of that. The Bahamas are beautiful. But the Bahamas are just a painting. God is the artist. It's easy to have idols. Or psychology. You know, when you go to the mall, some big malls, there's a map of all the stores, the food court and all, and it says, you are here. That's psychology. Man's best efforts to say, you are here. (laughs) The cross doesn't say, you are here. It says, he was there. The cross is infinitely more important than psychology. Or philosophy. Philosophy is the study of godless explanations. But scripture is the revelation of God's truth that we can understand and apply. You get the point. We should look down our noses these centuries later at the people of Lystra to say, oh, they were lousy idol worshipers because we contend and slip into idolatry very, very quickly. You might look at it this way, that all that God has given you temporally, all that God has given you in life 
is one of two things. It is either a mirror in which you only see yourself or the temporal blessings of God are not a mirror. They are a window through which we can look and see God who gave it all to us. And so the question becomes, are we seeing life as a mirror, me, myself, and I? Or are we seeing the good things in life as a window to the one who gives them to us? Idolatry is not just a first century problem. Idolatry is a 21st century problem, even in the evangelical church. And so we can worship idols, if we're not careful, just like the citizens of Lystra do, did. And eight, verse 18 is such a sad verse. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to the apostles. Even after the missionaries exposed their idols as being wrong things to worship, even after the apostles declined the worship that the city wanted to give to them as human beings, even after Paul and Barnabas directed those worshipers to worship God as creator and God as the giver of good gifts, even after that correction and rebuke, they could barely hold them back from worshiping Paul and Barnabas. People of ancient Lystra, as it were, looked at the cruise ship, the icon of the seas. <laughs> so, wow, is it random chance something? Didn't even need a blueprint for that baby. And so, back in Lystra, it was legend and superstition that overran the truth. Today, I would submit that pride and self-determination override the truth in some people. There are plenty of persons today inside and outside of the church who make the same mistake that the persons of ancient Lystra made, and these folks miss or they overlook God. They miss and they overlook God who created everything we see. They miss or they overlook God who gives them anything good which they enjoy. They miss God in the goodnesses they enjoy. They overlook God in the goodnesses they have. And because the creator and provider God has not left himself without witness, verse 17 Nevertheless, he, creator God, giver of all good, did not leave himself without witness, and he hasn't left himself without witness in 2023 either. And so because God has not left himself without witness, don't give up on people who are missing God in the goodnesses they enjoy. Don't write them off. Pray for them. Tell them. Believe there's hope for them in Christ. To stop seeing their lives' pleasantries as a mirror and to begin seeing life's pleasantries as a window to God. Don't give up on those people. Because the creator and the provider of everything that's good that can be provided has not left himself without witness. Verse 19. 
Now, this witness that God has not left himself without, theologians call general revelation. General revelation is enough to point an open person to special revelation. General revelation is found in creation and in the goodnesses of God that everybody can have from God. Special revelation is scripture and the Savior. General revelation, if rejected, is enough to damn a person to hell. That's what happened in Lystra. They had general revelation, they rejected it as being from God, and it was enough to damn them to hell. But if general revelation is accepted, it's not enough to save a person for heaven. Can I say that again? General revelation, if rejected, is enough to damn a person to hell, but general revelation, even if it's accepted, is not enough to save a person for heaven. Accepting general revelation is an open door to becoming more aware of special revelation. The person who accepts that general revelation speaks to a creator, God gives grace that they would ultimately find the special revelation in scripture of Christ as savior. General revelation is an open door to becoming aware of special revelation. It's only when a person responds properly to special revelation by repenting of sin and trusting Christ alone that that person is converted, regenerated, redeemed, and saved. That's the only way those things happen. If you understand from general revelation, there is a God, that you move to special revelation. His name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His redemption is found only in the Son of God's finished work on the cross, the blood sacrifice of Christ, evidence to be propitiation by an empty tomb and sepulcher, a risen Savior. When a person moves from general revelation, belief in that, to special revelation, understanding about truth about Christ and believing it to be truth, that that person is saved and made ready for heaven. Now, part and parcel with this thing called general revelation, or maybe a way to distinguish between general revelation and special revelation, is general revelation reveals the works of God. Creation, common grace that I'll explain in a moment. Special revelation reveals the word of God. There are two expressions of the word of God. The scripture and the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his works. So how are general revelation and special revelation distinguished from each other? General revelation talks about the works of God, creation and common grace. Special revelation reveals the word of God, scripture and the savior. Now this thing that I mentioned of common grace, theologians call it common grace. Common grace is wrapped up in general revelation. Within general revelation of creation and the goodnesses of God, we find common grace. Common grace is God blessing everyone, including non-believers, who are outside personal salvation from sin, which is found only in Christ. Common grace is God blessing all persons with certain undeserved, non-redemptive blessings. Like what? Like sunshine and rain, crops and seasons of the year, 
food, in some cases prosperity, health, happiness, natural talents, the restraint of sin and Satan and evil, and divine wrath, human love, marriage and family, human benevolence, kindnesses, the beauty and the bounty of creation. These are all expressions of common grace. And common grace comes under the category of general revelation, that there is a God who has created, and he is good, and he gives good things to everybody, not just Christians. Common grace. Today in the chapter verses we're looking at, Acts 14, 8 to 18, we've been considering our God's goodness in his creation, that's general revelation, and God's goodness in his daily provisions for all human beings, that's general revelation, also common grace. And we've been seeing in the text that Paul and Barnabas responded to these things, personally responded to these things, by having personal worship of God and rejecting the worship of the people of Lystra that, as if they were God. But we've been seeing in our text that the citizens of Lystra responded to the very same things. God as creator, God as dispenser of good to all people. They responded in a wrong way, and they wanted to worship as if they were God, Paul and Barnabas, mere humans. I want to close with this. I want you to think about this week going into Subway and ordering a ham and a cheese sub. And you step up at the counter and they ask you, what kind of bread do you want? Wheat. God provided the wheat flour for the bread. They ask you, what kind of cheese do you want? You say American. God provided the cow and the milk for the cheese. Then you say, I want a ham and cheese sub. God provided the pig and the pig's food to make it ready to be turned into ham. God provided the know-how for the manufacturing of the bread, oven, so when they say, do you want it toasted? Yes, please. Put lettuce, tomato, onions, cucumbers on that sandwich. And all those ingredients are only available because God sent the right amounts of sunlight and rain and adequate soil quality for those veggies to grow. Oh, and if you put pickles on it, God gave someone somewhere back there know how to preserve cucumbers and vinegar. <laughs> wouldn't, you say, wouldn't you say that the Lord provided a lot so you could have a ham and cheese footlong? Now, here's the thing. You ready? Here's the thing. God, God does all that providing, whether a Christian or an atheist orders that sandwich. But it's only the Christian who bows his or her head in prayer to thank God for the provision of lunch. 
loved ones, when it comes to noticing all of God's goodnesses in his creation, all of God's goodnesses in his provisions of your daily lives, don't be like the idol-worshiping citizens of ancient Lystra. Instead, be like the God-worshiping missionaries named Paul and Barnabas, because our God, verse 18, 17, has not left himself without a witness, and maybe the witness is you. Creation, a witness. Good things in life, a witness. You bowing your head in the subway store and giving thanks for the sandwich, a witness. God has not left himself without witness. No one has excuse. Lord, thank you for your goodnesses. It will take all eternity for us to name them. And some of the goodnesses you give us every day we're unaware of. But you nonetheless give them to us. Lord, there are people we love and know that don't understand that you're behind the goodnesses of their lives. Oh, Lord, help us to point them away from ourselves to you. Help them to see that you have made everything that is so beautiful and you keep it going and you, in love, undeservedly give people that slur your name, slam your name, deny your existence, even they get some good things. May we who know and love and trust you, may we give you credit for the good things you give to us. And we ask this in Jesus, the name of the best and the most good thing you've ever given to us. Amen.